Hey, welcome to Radiant Life. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, hey, how many of you are excited to be in church this morning? Amen. Yes. And if not, well, you will be in a moment. All right. Uh, one thing real quick I want to say about that video is uh, every year we, you know, churches do what they call Vacation Bible School, and we've kind of changed that language here at Radiant Life, and we call it Radiant Kids Camp, and we've always done it like Sunday through Thursday or Wednesday or whatever that looks like, a whole week, and we decided to change things up a little bit this year, and we're going to do it all on Sunday mornings in June. So, which is a little different, but it's going to be awesome, and the kids are going to get invite cards, and they get to invite their kids to, or their friends. Hopefully the kids don't have kids, but the kids are going to invite their friends to uh, Sunday morning to experience Radiant Kids Camp this year. So, they're powered up. They're ready for it. It's going to be great. Well, turn to your neighbor and say, give me some grace. Well, welcome to part two of our series, Culture Shock. And what this whole series is based on is trying to understand that our culture that you and I live in is shifting in issues. And some of them are very shocking to us. How do we navigate those waters where we can still love people well who may look completely different than us, who have different lifestyles than us? How can we love them well yet still influence at the same time? Last week, I kind of kicked off with a theme verse in John chapter 1, and it's on the screen, and it says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's referring to Jesus. We have what? What's this word? We have what, friends? Seen his glory. John's telling us, listen, friends, I got to see God in flesh. I was there with Jesus. I saw his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of, what's this word? Grace and what? Full of grace and truth. And last week we unpacked that, what that looks like of grace and truth, because you and I have a tendency to swing one side or the other. We have a tendency to be all grace, anything goes, but we, some of us have a tendency to swing the other side and say, we're all about the truth, what's right and wrong. And John kicks off and says, hey, when I saw Jesus and I hung out with him, you need to know he was full of grace and truth. And this morning, we're going to unpack Grace. And what does grace may look like in our lives? Next week on Mother's Day weekend, we're going to unpack truth. And then the following week, May 19th, we'll wrap it up in a pretty bow and talk about one word that pulls all this together. And that's the last week. But I need to set us up this morning as we look at grace. And it's one of the most intimate settings in the life of Jesus. And if you've got your Bible or tablet or phone, you want to turn to John chapter 13. It'll be on the screens for you if you don't want to turn there. And this is one of the most grace-filled stories, I think, that we have in all of God's word. I need to ask a question before we jump in, though, real quick. How many of you were present, I think I did this teaching about three years ago, about the Last Supper, and I had, like, volunteers on stage laying down. How many of you, by, I, by the raise of your hands, all right, so, okay, like 95% of us have it. That's awesome. Um, so we're going to talk about the Last Supper. And a lot of times in our Americanized lenses that we read Scripture, we think of a dinner table like this. We also can think Da Vinci, 
for creating that painting of the Last Supper, and we think they're all on this ginormous table in a row. What you have to know is you got to put on first century lens and understand the most intimate meals were what's known as a triclinium. Let me hear you say triclinium. A triclinium, tri meaning three, clinium to recline. There were three sides. I'll just do it with my hand. It went up, had a crossbar, and down, and you laid on cushions. And you shared, you reclined at this meal. You may say, well, Ryan, how do you know that's what they're that's what Jesus and his disciples experienced. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. John tells us they're reclining at a table. How do you recline like this? <laughs> it doesn't work, right? You can't recline. We have to know, when I was in Israel four years ago, um, all their paintings and all their sculptures of, are of a triclinium. They understood. We in America, we're a little removed from that, okay? But um, I won't get into that teaching, but we have to understand we're going to enter the Last Supper. This is probably the most intimate time that Jesus is going to have. And he's going to invite some people into his meal. Knowing just hours later he's going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten, he's going to get flogged, he's going to die the most horrific death you could in the first century world. Jesus knows it. This meal is so intimate. And we're going to jump in in John chapter 13. The meal has already started. Jesus is the host. Jesus just got done washing everyone's feet who was invited to the table. Now we have to understand immediately, that's not what you do as the host. At a triclinium meal, you would have a servant. The servant's job is to wash everyone's feet, not the host. And Jesus said he wrapped himself with a towel and began to wash everyone's feet that was at the table. And Jesus is going to continue with these words in John chapter 13. It says, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In other words, hey disciples, I'm not above serving. I'm fully God, fully man, but serving is not above me. I heard a leadership quote one time that says, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is above you. I know, really deep and theological, but think about that. If serving, if you think you're too good to serve, then you're not a leader. You will never rise up to leadership. You serve. And Jesus set that example in the most intimate setting of his life, right here at the table. And Jesus continues on. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. You ever felt that moment where this is not right in your heart? And you're going, what in the world? And that, in this moment, that's exactly what Jesus is feeling. Jesus understands those moments in your life. He was there. And then he tells his disciples in the most intimate setting, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples, 
They stared at one another at a loss to know which one he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was what, friends? There it is, triclinium. They're reclining. The one whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. By the way, this guy is John. John's like, yes, I'm that guy. He says, Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, hey, ask him which one he means. We want to know what one of us are going to betray Jesus. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, hey, Lord, who, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Uh, so Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had, had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Jesus had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. It was night. And in the most intimate, most somber meal that Jesus could share, John wanted one last detail. He says, friends, I need you to know that it was night. It's dark. And all of a sudden, the people that we spent three years with, one got up and left. And he's about to betray our rabbi and our teacher. See, you and I are on this side of resurrection. We know this. Some of us, we know the story. Like, ah, it's going to work out, right? Jesus is coming back. But for the disciples in this meal, they were on this side of the resurrection. They have no idea what's going to happen. So I have a question to ask, and we're going to unpack this morning. The question is this. Who did Jesus invite to his table? Who did he invite? There were 12 disciples there. We don't have time to unpack all 12. I'm going to unpack four people that I think this message may wreck with you and it wrecked with me. I write these messages. I think I get direction from God where we need to go. I'm going to tell you this message has been wrecking me to death. And it's over and over. And I'll share more in a little bit why. But we have to understand four people who are invited to Jesus' table. The first is this position right here. This position, this disciple, he was the one whom Jesus loved. This disciple here was John. John was invited to Jesus' table. I am loved. John was probably, we know John's the youngest disciple. John, what's interesting about John is John was the only disciple at the cross when Jesus was dying and taking his last breath. And before Jesus died, Jesus looked at John and said, hey, John, there's my mom. Take care of her. And he looked at his mom and says, hey, there's your son. Take care of him. It was John. It was the one that Jesus loved, had a seat at his table. All of us need to understand this this morning. This is our seat. You're loved by Jesus no matter what you bring in this room this morning. The baggage, the junk, your addiction, you have to understand you are Loved. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are loved. 
Turn to your other neighbor and say, oh, you are definitely loved. You're loved. How do we get this seat? This seat is not earned by how many times you go to church. This seat is not earned on how many times you read your Bible this week or how many times you prayed or how much you gave in the offering. This is not how many times you went to Sunday school as a kid. Although all those things are good, this seat is earned by just being you. That God created you and loved you. You have a seat at his table. This was John. Now things pick up a little bit. There's another seat. It's the seat here. And this seat was reserved for the disciple who questioned Jesus. If you grow up in church, you know who this guy is. This guy is by the name of Thomas. In fact, in the church world, we've dubbed this guy a nickname, Doubting Thomas. I wonder if Thomas is up there in heaven saying, seriously, you gave me that nickname? Can I have the nickname, like, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved? You gave me Doubting Thomas. What's interesting about this seat is that Thomas, when Jesus is like, hey, we need to go over here now, something's going to happen. And you know what Thomas says? Hey, disciples, we need to go with him. And if Jesus dies, we're going to die too. We need to go. We'll die with Jesus. And then the, re the cross happens and Jesus was crucified. And Thomas says, uh-uh, I don't believe in the resurrected Jesus. Thomas, who spent three to three and a half years with Jesus, questioned and doubted him. And Thomas says, uh-uh, let me see the marks on the hands. Unless I get to put my finger in there, I don't believe Jesus is alive. The one who questioned Jesus had a seat at Jesus' table. And for some of us this morning, you may have questions, you may be doubting Jesus. You need to know that your questions don't disqualify you. Thomas had them. And Thomas still had a seat at the most intimate table of Jesus' life. Thomas is here. The one who questioned Jesus. And there's two more seats. This seat belonged to the person who denied Jesus. This guy was Peter. Peter was the leader, the oldest, the one that we know at least he was at least married because he had a mother-in-law, the oldest of the disciples. Peter, who led the disciples outside of Jesus, who led them for three years when Jesus was arrested in the courtyard, said, I don't know Jesus, I don't know him, I don't know him three times. And then a resurrected Jesus comes back to life and Jesus is on the shore, and he's got a coal fire on the shore. The only other mention of a coal fire is in that courtyard when Peter denied Jesus. And Peter is in a boat fishing, and they're like, oh, look, it's Jesus. Peter, the one who denied Jesus, jumps out of the boat, runs in the water, gets on the shore, and has a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus three times says, Peter, do you love me? 
Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Would you stop asking me that question? Peter, one more. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And in that moment, Jesus, what we call, reinstates Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus gave grace three times. No matter what struggles or things you bring in, you have to know. You have to understand there is an abundance of grace to cover your mistakes. Abundance. Last week I said in, in John, John 1 writes in John 1, 16 and 17, it's grace upon grace upon grace. Every time you fell down on your face and make a mistake, Jesus is pouring more grace into your life. Peter, the one who denied Jesus, had a seat at Jesus' table. One last chair. This chair is the toughest chair. This chair was reserved for the one who betrayed Jesus. Judas. Do you know how much money equivalent today that Judas got to betray Jesus? Less than $10. Three years walking with Jesus. Don't ever think Judas got the heart of who Jesus was. And Judas betrays his teacher and rabbi. Yet Judas was still invited to the table of grace. Peter makes a mistake. Peter denies Jesus, and Peter receives the grace and forgiveness from Jesus and gets his life back in order. But what Judas does is when Jesus is saying, man, I've invited you to my table. Just listen to what I have to say. You're invited, Judas. Judas cannot take his mistake to heart, and he goes out and commits suicide and hangs himself. But he had a spot at the table. These are just four of the people who were invited to Jesus' table to break bread. Did you know back in the day, the breaking of the bread was one of the most, if not the most intimate thing you could do with someone? The one who betrayed him, the one who denied, the one who questioned, and the one who loved all had a seat at the table. I want to ask you a question. Who's invited to your table? Who's invited to your table? I have a feeling many of us are this way. I'll tell you who's invited to my table. People who are like me. They can sit there. And people who are like me can sit here. And people who are like me can sit here. And people 
who are like me. Same faith as me, same lifestyle as me. We, we, we agree on the same issues of culture and things. The people who just look like me and I'm comfortable with have a seat at my table. But that's not what I saw in Jesus' most intimate time who was invited to his table. This is easy. This is comfortable, right? Just as long as you look like me. Man, we can talk Michigan football all day long at a table, baby. You're invited. You look like me. You root like me. Yeah, baby. You're at my table. You like coffee? You're at my table. You don't like mowing? You're not at my table. Only people who like mowing. You like fashion? You're definitely invited to my table. People like me are invited to my table. No one that I disagree with can come to my table. But Jesus says, uh-uh. Look at the Last Supper. Don't you remember the one that stabbed me in the back was invited to my table? But Jesus, we don't like those people. They hurt. They hurt when your ex-spouse cheats on you. Stabs you in your back. It hurts when your child is rebelling against you. and Stabs you in the back. It hurts. I don't want to invite them to my table. And Jesus says, listen, you can hold a grudge or you can give grace. And Jesus says, ah, I knew what Judas was going to do. He still had a spot at my table. And the ones that deny you and just don't like you, pretend they're your friend to your face, but in your back they do something else. Those people that you don't want at your table, Jesus says, yeah, I had them at my table too. The ones who question your marriage and how you, your marriage is going. Those who question how you're raising your kids. Those who question how you vote one way or another. Jesus says, yes, even those people are invited to the table. This one's the easy one, right? Of course the ones I loved. Let's be honest. These people, if we just had a table of this, life is good. I don't got to deal with headache. But something so powerful about the Last Supper, who Jesus invited to his table, is knowing this, that Jesus knows everything we will ever do, and he still invites us to his table. That is grace. It's grace upon grace upon grace. You may have betrayed Jesus at some point. You may have denied him at work or at school. I don't follow Jesus. I just go because my parents make me. But here you're raising your hands and you know you love Jesus. Or you may question and doubt who he is and if he's alive. Listen, he knows every sin you will do and he says, you're still invited to my table. You're still here. That is the definition of grace. Here's where this is wrecking me. Full transparency, I just want a bunch of this at my table. Why? It's easy. It's clean. 
it's not messy and it's not chaotic and I don't have to deal with my emotions. I want a bunch of me at my table. About six months ago, God challenged me. God challenged me to get to know every single one of my neighbors. Like not just literally like my next door, but everyone who lives around me. So I took that challenge on from God. All right, deal. I will get to know. But then I started realizing, you know what? My social tank is pretty full. I don't need to know anyone else. Like that was my way out. Anyone else, you give a way out of God. Like, yeah, God, I don't know if you really know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know if my tank's full. And so I know what God has called me to do. Get to know people around me. So last night, my neighbor's outside. I backed my van into my drive. He's 10 yards away from me. And I've only said one thing. I've almost lived in my house four years now. I've said one thing to him. We were out during a horrible snowstorm one time, shoveling, right? And I was just trying to make small talk. And I said, man, this sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> like, just making small talk. And he's like, yeah, you know, and like, that was it. All right, yeah, okay. Blessings to you. Um, and I backed up, door goes open, 10 yards away from me. And I shut the door. I know what I have to do. And I went like this into my house. Why? Because I want people like me at my table. So I confess to you this morning, that's what I did. Who's invited to your table? What I understand more and more about grace is, is that everyone, whether we agree or disagree with lifestyles or anything in their life, whatever it is, if they have a heartbeat, listen, everyone, you matter to God. You matter to him. And if that's the case, what I realized last night is that no matter what, if everyone matters to God here at Radiant Life, you got to understand you matter to us. No matter who you are. We believe in this message of who Jesus is, the power of the resurrection. You matter to us. But it's going to cause us sometimes to get messy in the grace and invite other people who are not like us to the table. Because that's what Jesus did. So who's invited to your table? This morning we're going to celebrate communion together. I understand we just had communion about three weeks ago. I was like, well, you can't talk about the Last Supper without doing communion. So here at Radiant Life, we just ask one thing. That you follow Jesus as you take those elements. Now remember, you and I are on this side of the resurrection, right? We understood. We, we read the story. We get Jesus was back and everything. Those around the table, they were on this side. They didn't get it yet. So when Jesus was in that upper room and he 
he took the bread and he sat there and he broke it. He says he broke the bread, he gave thanks and told the disciples, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. For this is my body that will be broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. And he passed it out and the disciples ate the bread and Again, I'm wondering, what do you think the disciples are thinking? Are they understanding? Do they have any idea? Are they sitting there going, don't do this, Jesus. We still need you. Don't do this. And then it says, Jesus grabbed the cup of wine and told his disciples, take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. For my blood, this is the blood of the new covenant. For the forgiveness of sins. Even for the forgiveness of sins, who people who don't look like us can be forgiven and enter into a relationship with me. I'm doing it for everyone. Why? Because everyone matters to God. So we as a body, as a family, are going to celebrate that this morning. There's six tables total. One in the middle, one back, and then two on the sides, two on the sides. The team's going to play softly behind. And I'm going to leave one slide up while you come and take. And this is the slide I want you just to ponder about when you're ready. When you are ready, come and receive the elements. The element, they're all gluten-free bread, and the wine is juice. We use juice here. I want you to ponder these questions. Do you love Jesus? You have a seat at the table. Have you questioned Jesus? You have a seat at the table. Have you denied Jesus? You have a seat at the table. Have you betrayed Jesus? You have a seat at the table. That is grace. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I just want to first and foremost thank you for inviting us all to have a seat at your table, to draw into intimacy with you. That no matter what we come in with our past, our sin, our mistakes, our hang-ups, our addictions, our failures, that you have a seat at the table for us. We thank you for grace upon grace upon grace, that even when we at times disobey, even at times we stab you in the back, you are still there to say, I love you, let's get this right. We thank you for the bread and the juice. Will you bless these elements, Father, as we celebrate this is going to be a celebration of communion, of grace. So we thank you, Father, for your grace that you lavish on us. And may we, in return, lavish that grace on those who've wronged us, who disagree with us, who have different lifestyles than us, Help us to live like you and shower grace upon grace upon grace. We pray this.
Jesus' name.